Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years, and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from, and what drives them forward. I'm really proud of the older women that we feature in the magazine and talking to them in really interesting ways and not just sort of patronising them and not photographing them and photoshopping them and being able to showcase older women to younger women so that they see that there isn't like a cut-off point that you can just live your life. For this episode, I sit down with Danielle Pender, founder and editor-in-chief of Riposte, a smart magazine for women. A story from a sleepy Newcastle suburb to one of the leading lights in the independent publishing scene is a fascinating one. This was recorded in our studios in Shoreditch. Very excited to have Danielle here from Riposte, uh, who I've known for a number of years, been a big fan, um, and really, uh, you know, looking forward to hearing her story of growth, uh, how she's um, created the wonderful thing that is uh, is Riposte, uh, and everything that comes from that. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me on your podcast. That's okay. Um, small caveat on the background noise, we are uh, in Shoreditch and we have roadworks outside, but it all adds to the texture. So why don't we start at the beginning? Um, yeah. What was the, you know, what was the beginning of Riposte as, a, as an idea, as, a, as an inception? Um, well, at the time, so I think I'd just got married, I was going on my honeymoon and I'd kind of been looking around at the magazine market around that time so that was maybe 2000 the start of 2013 and I just felt like there wasn't I think Gentlewoman was maybe in its like second or third issue and although I think that's an amazing magazine that was that was pretty much it and like the mainstream magazines at the time were really bad um, and there was nothing really online so I wanted to make something or I wanted to read something that was um, you know, that was interesting, that had loads of different things other than just fashion and beauty and celebrities, and that was that featured the brilliant women that I knew were out there, but you just never heard of. Um, so that was the sort of basic idea. And then I was working at um, KK Outlet at the time, which was a gallery in the London office of Cassis Kramer um, on Hoxton Square, and... I was a little bit bored, but I didn't want to go and work somewhere else, and I just wasn't sure what to do. So then I started working on the first issue with Shaz Madani, who I've worked with from the start, and she designs it. And we just spent a long time sort of thinking about who the reader would be, what the magazine meant, like what it was all about, the sort of ethos behind it. And then I've always been into magazines, so I've always I kind of looked at the, the sort of formula of a magazine and worked out what that would be for Riposte. Um, and just sort of built it up really slowly. We spent ages on like the logo, on the name. I had these really terrible names. What's the story of the name? Um, that... And what are the bad names that came before? Oh, man, so if many. If you want to share. So many. I found the list the other day. There was one like 
Scarlet Letter. It was horrible, <laughs> horrible names. But I'm from Newcastle and um, one of the bands that was around at the time when I still lived there was Maximo Park and they were sort of like, I think they'd just signed to Warp and everyone was very excited and um, and I loved their first album and I was listening to it when I was working like on the list and they're one of their songs, I think it's... Um, the course is always changing. He he says something like uh, he mentions the word repost in the lyrics, and it's sort of stuck. And then I looked it up, and it means a sort of like sharp, smart response. And that felt like what the magazine was going to be to the current sort of state of magazines for women at the time. That's nice. And is there is there a goal? Is there a destination? <laughs> is there something that you're you know you're trying to you know, shift or, you know, you know you've succeeded in terms of once you get there? I think the goal was always, has always been and still is to sort of redefine what women want for themselves and and how they're represented in the media. And I think, like, the media landscape has changed, like, dramatically from 2013 in a really short space of time, which is amazing. Um and I think that even like mainstream magazines like Elle and Vogue have really upped their game. But I still think that there is a massive um, gap. Like those magazines are still very much tied to advertisers, to stakeholders. They still have uh, a massive commercial responsibility and that limits what they can put in their magazine. It limits who they can profile, it limits how they can profile them. So I still think there's a space in the magazine market for independent women's magazines that are doing really interesting stuff and working with interesting people. And I think, like, Riposte is that place and we can... The goal is to sort of make it more sustainable, make it bigger, up our print run and do sort of longer-term plans with events. And and I think, yeah, we have, we have long-term goals, but... I, don't know whether I want to talk about them just yet. <laughs> Not quite yet formed. <laughs> For those who haven't seen Repost, um, what are sort of, I don't know, some of the highlights or some of the key things that you, from your journey, from its inception to where it is now, um, you know, you, you're super proud about? I think the fact... I'm really proud that we've made a magazine that hasn't compromised. So we still have, uh, we started off with a text-based cover because that was supposed to re uh, reflect like the fact that the magazine was all about who these women are and what they had to say rather than what they look like. And although we've now got an image cover, we still try and like be bold with that. So we on the eighth issue, we put um, Erica Hart on the cover, who is, she's a breast cancer survivor she's a sex educator and she appeared on the front cover topless um with her cover. with her sort of double mastectomy um shot by Shaniqua right yes yeah. yeah and I think like that having the freedom to do that and and to be able to push that conversation forward and put someone like Erica, like she's got such a, an amazing profile now and I'm not saying that's all because of us she was doing a lot of work um, in the public realm, bef you know, she always has been. But I think, like, I'm really proud of that. And I'm really proud of 
the older women that we feature in the magazine and talking to them in really interesting ways and not just sort of patronising them and not photographing them and photoshopping them and being able to showcase older women to younger women so that they see that there isn't like a cut-off point that you can just live your life mm. and the features that we cover there's like we cover death in an interesting way um porn islam and feminism like lots of different topics which you still don't find in mainstream women's media but i still think are really important topics to talk about mm. and that shift which is you know, in a, in a, inescapable in terms of the women's landscape, whether it's media, whether it's in the workplace, and it definitely has got a way to go. Yeah. You know, what, what's your view on that as a whole in terms of the, I guess, the positives and, and the negatives? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it is incredible, like, how far we've come in such a short period, and I think it was building for a really long time, and I think things like... Um, like Me Too is massive and that has changed people's behaviour and people are questioning their own behaviour and things that have happened to them and I think that's great. So men and women, I think that's brilliant and, you know, equal pay and I think, like, the conversations around intersectionality are really important so it can't just be, like, a white feminist agenda. You have to, you know, it it has to include all women otherwise what's the point? Mm Um, so I think in terms of those conversations and those things happening, that's amazing. But the thing that I kind of struggle with is where you see, like, feminist in, like, speech bubbles, um, platforms, which have... They need to make a lot of money. Like, they have investors. They have become these big platforms. And so they have to churn out a lot of content. And I just it makes this question the stories that they're telling and the the partnerships that they're working on. And it's like where, yeah, I just wonder about that a little bit. Like how much have, how much is the commercialization of feminism becoming a problem just so some people can make some money? Let's talk about that some more. Yeah, I mean, it's always a fine line in publishing. Yeah. yeah it's church and state. Yeah. Yeah, it's editorial to publishers. And... You, know, you mentioned Vogue's and the Condes, and you know they are big business. Yeah. And you, as an independent, on you know, still successful business. But what? Yeah. I mean, what's your line then? If we are talking about a line that is being drawn yeah. as to brands that you work with that sustain your business and sustain repost, um, yeah. How do you approach that? I think it's tr- no, it's not tricky. I think. There's that thing, like, if you're getting something for free, you're the product. And I think that's what people have to be aware of. Like, everything online you're getting for free, you become the product and you are being sold to a brand. So I think with us, like, we, you might, our magazine costs £10. We don't do that much online. Our events are, like, eight quid a ticket. And then there's the social stuff. Um, and then we do some free events with brands and that is very clear it's a partnership and I think the brands that we work with they have to align with our ethos and they have to I would have to personally buy it or our team would and they have to we're not going to work with like really naff brands that have sort of ethical questions around them yeah of course um 
And I think, yeah, you just have to be really clear on that. And, and that's just protection. Yeah, yeah. And alignment of values and to a certain level of trust yeah. that is, you know, shared, ultimately. Yeah, because if we start doing stuff with, I mean, I don't want to name brand names, but if we start doing stuff with questionable brands, then our audience just are instantly turned off and yeah, of they don't trust us anymore. And that's like, that's key. Mm. That otherwise, you know. So how is that, how's that going to grow? I mean, that's as much as, you know, as you have your brand partners and some, yeah. s- some really successful collaborations, you know, that is also a way for you to you know, instill or enforce or, you know, to set your guidelines of if you want to reach the repost community, you know, this is what you need, you know, this is the checklist, yeah. so to speak, that you need to cover. And are you seeing brands, you know, shifting to your you know, values? Um, yeah. Because ultimately that's got to be, you know, ultimately that's got to be the, the success metric of this. That if you have a questionable brand, and I'm not excusing a questionable brand, but if they <laughs> are going to change their behavior because they know they need to, yeah. and, it, you know, it, it warrants going through the filter, uh, you know, this is also using that power to, to shift how this commercial world in which we are, how it's, how it's going to change. Yeah, and I think there's a, there was an interesting thing on It's Nice that last week or the week before, um, and I can't remember her name, she was an illustrator, and she'd been approached by a pasta brand in Italy, and her, the CEO of the pasta brand had made, like, really dodgy comments about, um, I think they were homophobic comments, and she'd sort of sworn off the pasta brand. Then they'd done it, the brand had done internal sort of reviews and had um, reached out to her to do some work for them. And she'd sort of said they'd had a long conversation and she'd sort of said like I don't agree with your brand and she'd sort of educated them I think they already knew but she'd sort of worked with them to say this is why it doesn't fly and then she'd in her work that she'd done for them she'd featured uh, a lesbian couple and I think a gay couple and so yeah I think there's ways that brands need to change and I think that they need to be called out and they need to align with progressive creatives or partners and I think that will happen but it's where where you draw the line I think yeah there's definitely people that we wouldn't work with but then also rather than um sort of muddy the waters we do do partnerships in the magazine and we would do partnerships for events but we do stuff through our studio now which is where it keeps it very clean Mm. we do commercial work creative work for brands direct and that doesn't affect like what we do with um, the magazine and the online stuff, so that's it keeps it very se- separate. Yeah, no, no, it makes total sense. So, in terms of those other components to repost, and you mentioned the events, which are hugely successful, the online community, you know, where, you know, what direction do you see it going in terms of what you're most excited about, and you know, what is driving that growth? Yeah, I think the events are huge, and I'd love we sort of working on a plan to build that out and looking at a membership scheme for next year and looking at uh, podcast seasons, so looking at doing a few different ones with different themes, Mm -hmm. Um, building out and doing books with partners, Mm -hmm. so with established publishers. Um, So there's lots of different things. Like I I kind of see it as like the magazine is at the core, that's in the centre, and that is like the purest thing that we do. And that is our sort of like 
you know, it sets our stall out. And from that, we can do things, we can do partnerships with brands, products, books, events, things online. There's lots of different options and ways to sort of make money and tell stories in different ways. I think that's the thing. It's like, yeah, how we can engage our audience and tell those interesting stories through different mediums. That's what is really exciting. And where do you see that five years' time? Can you see that in five years' time? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think it's it's really exciting to think like where it could go and I think working with the right brands because it does ultimately... we do need to work with brands I'm like very honest and upfront and aware of that so it's finding the right people it's also working out like a sustainable model in terms of like working with our audience what they want what they would buy into um but yeah I can I see it in five years as a sort of successful studio media platform events lots of like a few different strands Coming back to you and Newcastle. Yes. Born. Yes. Um, tell me a bit about that. Uh, Newcastle. I went home at the weekend, actually. It was really funny. I'd always go back and, like, fucking hit. Can you swear? <laughs> you have. <laughs> this I is really, not the BBC. I really, <laughs> I really, like, go back and I'm like, oh, it's fucking shit all town. <laughs> but then I get there and I really love it. And then I'm. How often do you go back? Like, every six weeks, because I've got family there. Um, And it's good, like, yeah, I lived there until I was 18, 19, and then I literally couldn't wait. Like, I hated it. I hated that small-town mentality. I hated... Newcastle's not that small. uh, I think it is when you live there. And this was, like, pre-internet, so there was, like, nothing. (laughs) There was, like, one decent record shop. There was... Yeah, there was, like, some sort of alternative bars, but there wasn't that much. And, yeah. like, to find so any... So where did you go out? Or where did you... What did you do? Yeah, I used to go... There was, like, these... The thing is, all as much as I'm hating on it, there was actually, I think, because there wasn't the internet, there wasn't loads of stuff going on. Like, there was quite an interesting scene. And I think subcultures... This was, like... Like, 1999. And... Yeah, late 90s. So the subcultures that were going on, they were like, people were properly into them. So, like, there was a great um, gay club called Rock Shots. But so it was like, there was loads of, uh, it was a big gay community, but there was like working class, like, Geordie lads that used to go there just to go raving and take loads of pills. So it's quite like a, it was a great mix of like, Clash of cultures, but uh, like a great one because everyone was on pills and having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But um, yeah, and then I just like, I was, I'd had enough. I think small towns, are, I kind of think about it because my kid, we live in London, she's three, she literally gets everything on a plate. Like I try not to spoil her, but kids inevitably are spoiled. And like she grows up in London, she goes to the Tate Modern. I'm like one of those really annoying like middle class parents and she's just, I, like, wonder about the sort of friction or, like, thing that's going to, like, give her a personality, in a way. Take her back to Newcastle. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yes, I sympathise having two kids yeah. of young age with, you know, the 
privilege that London affords. Yeah. Um, but how much of that do you think of your Newcastle, you know, small town constriction has sort of defined your ambition or your direction or your, you know, your trajectory? I think it's been massive. I think the ambition to get out of Newcastle and to do something because I, I went to like a really rough school and there was like I mean it was such a shithole there was like I look back now and it was so rough and um I think any brothers like, and sisters I've got an older brother he wasn't around he was he's four years older so he when I started he was in like the fifth year and then he left so he no, left the school. No big brother around no. to like protect you in the playground. No, no, it was no. Fight for yourself. Yeah, and I think like I knew it was a shithole. I knew like the ambition of the people that I was friends with, like it was pretty low, and I just literally couldn't wait to get out. So I think that has like propelled me to want to do more and get out a lot. What were your parents? Backgrounds? My dad was a teacher and my mum, she was at home and then she worked in sales. So she's super chatty. And um, my dad was really, uh, he was a history and English teacher. So he was quite sort of, he was a bit more educated. He read quite a lot. He, um, yeah, and his wife was an English teacher. My mum and dad got divorced and his wife was an English teacher and, and she lived in London when she was youngest and she used to talk about like the bookshops and the culture and that always sort of resonated when I was little. I, it made us sort of appreciate that there was stuff outside of Newcastle. So did you ever come down to London or did you ever like explore in terms of this cultural curiosity? Yeah, I think when I was younger, my mom had friends down here. We used to come down quite a lot. And then I had, I didn't move down till I was like in my mid-twenties but during that time I had friends who lived down here so we used to come down quite a lot and go clubbing and do stuff <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why I, oh because I went away tra I did like the traveling thing and bought a motorbike in India and and then came home to Newcastle because I was skint so then yeah. I saved up money and sort of did a bit of work and then moved down after that okay so wait when did you move to London Two thousand and. Eight, two thousand nine. Okay. And when do you think the the inception, the, that germ, that seed of an idea for repost, you know, when did that start? I think it's weird. I mean, how long have you had it? You know, and it's you know, because ideas take times to form and yeah. influenced by so many different things until it's like, oh shit, that's it. I think like. In at my shithole school, um, <laughs> I found out that you got a name the shithole school. It's called Lord Lawson. Okay. It's called like Lord Lawson of Beamish now. I think they've tried to chat it off. <laughs> Your identity. I found out that um, oh, she called Mandy Norwood. She was the then editor of Cosmopolitan. I think Cosmopolitan, but she had gone to my school. And so then that like really like the penny dropped and I was like, ah, so someone who grew up around here went on and did something ah. good with their life. And then and from that point, I like I used to draw like copy vogue covers and I did a lot of like in my English um, degree, I did like a lot of work on magazines, like just different projects about magazines. So it's, it's always been there and it wasn't. Yeah, I think Is that from a design point of view then. 
Or is this just from a... No, I think... I mean, what, what, what draws... What is, your, what is your first draw? The, the words or the images? The words, images? The, the editorial. Yeah. That's definitely the, the first draw. And I think, yeah, like telling stories. I did like a creative writing MA, so I'm interested in that side of things and how you can tell an interesting story. Um, and I th- but it wasn't until... But wait, so you said from realising that someone who was at your school previously had gone on to great things, that was your moment of, actually, I can do this. Yeah, well, that was a, that was a moment of, I can get out of here, I can do something, like, outside of yeah. Newcastle. I could, yeah, and... Yeah. And then I'd, I think I'd always just had an interest in English, probably because of my dad. But it wasn't until I had the confidence from probably moving to London and then with the internet and, you know, like making a magazine yourself just seemed like such a big undertaking. And then all of a sudden it didn't. It was just like, ah, oh, loads of people are doing this. It seems quite easy, like yeah, just get a printer. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the sort of... The in, when I realised the indie magazine scene was a lot more accessible, then it came, became a reality. Yeah, which, you know, from Newspaper Club, making it really accessible to, you know, Steve at Stack celebrating so all of the... Indiv- I mean, and the, and the internet making everything visible. Yeah. You know, it makes total sense. And what, what, is, what is your... I mean, where do you see that future? I mean, specifically with independent magazine publishing as a category, as a segment, and, you know, from zine culture, from punk all the way through, you know, some people say it's never died, and it hasn't really. Mm. And, but, you know, where do you see that going in a, in a very post-digital world? Yeah, I think we had this event uh, last week about freelance lifestyle. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. It was really, really interesting. So there was Zing from Broadly, Kemi from Dazed and Galdem, Sarah Raphael from Refinery29 and Vicky Spratt from... The, she used to be at the Debrief, now she's at I and uh, Grazia. And Marissa Bate, who's the head... Oh, sorry, editor of The Pool, contributing editor. She uh, moderated it. So they chatted about loads of different stuff, like successful pitching, getting paid who gets through the stories that get through and then they talked about like the state of media and it was really interesting because so Kemi she was sort of talking about the fact that very she thinks like niche publications are the ones that you know the the publications and platforms that you know what you're going to get when you go there rather than like the really broad um, trying to attract everyone type of publications or platforms, they will struggle. And I think because people are becoming so much more discerning and very particular in their tastes and they want they want someone they can trust. Um, yeah, and I see the indie, indie magazine um, scene. I think loads of indie magazines will fall away as they inevitably do because it's expensive Mm -hmm. and it costs a lot and it's kind of time consuming but I think good indie magazines will succeed like Apartmental, amazing success, great business model, great example. I think Galdem, Us, uh, there's there's quite a few that I think will do well and I'm excited about it. I think it's a good time. I was kind of like... I think it's easy to get like bogged down and think like, oh, who cares about magazines? But loads of people care about magazines. They do. <laughs> they really do. And I think like 
Yeah, like the wing, Audrey Gelman's The Wing with No Man's Land, like they've they put a lot of money into that and that speaks volumes, like a company like that are putting investing in their own indie magazine because it's they see worth like they don't wanna have um a blog. Like I met Deirdre uh Dyer, their editor, the other day and she was over and she was saying like you know, everyone's scratching around online for, like, these news stories and they're all publishing the same stuff, like, trying to get eyes on their website and advertisers, like, they don't care. It's like, yeah. I don't know, it feels like very saturated online. Yeah, I would agree. And, yeah, I mean, long may it live. I've always been fans and I think you're exactly right. In terms of those niche titles or those niche interests... And it's certainly something we've seen in the research we've done, you mm. know, consumer research in terms of what's driving that. And as we call it, like common control, just the kids, the audiences, you know, they, they just don't trust what's out there. Mm. So they're making it themselves. So it's, it's totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, just coming back to your, I don't know, a few challenges along the road of riposte. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe, you know, touch on one or two, you know, those moments of like, why the fuck am I doing this? Yes, um, so many. Maybe just share a story or two. Um, well, the most recent one, I mean, like money is key. Like, it's always key. So we started off, we did, I didn't have, I'm not from like a rich background. We didn't have backers. My boss at KK Outlet lent us £2,000 to cover the print run for the first issue. And then with pre-sales, I paid them back. And so from each issue, we've just sort of built on, like, the previous one. And then around issue three, we worked with Nike, Nike Lab, and then we've always had, like, a brand, one main brand partner, and that's covered the cost. But it's still, like, minimal in terms of brand spend and how much it costs to run a magazine. So mm -hmm. our budget is pretty tiny. Um, yeah, and I, th I guess the most... Recent one is where we had two brands lined up and then for various reasons they backed out for budget, for timing. And it's like, we, I, for my job for the magazine is like, make the magazine, so decide what's going to be in it, do the commissioning, get the money in, do the, the production, get it out, do the marketing. So it's like, just the money side alone is such... A head fuck and like having to get through to the brands getting through to the right people getting through to them at the right time selling it into them like it is such a juggle and I think yeah that is just such a untalked about thing like there was mod mag the other day the mag culture conference which I love mm -hmm. and it's like I think Jeremy does a great job but there's all this like emphasis on how to make a great magazine and the creativity that goes into it is never talked about the business side of it and I don't know whether that's because actually some of these magazines are backed by bigger companies. I don't know, but that is, yeah, it's a really big challenge. I mean, it's the fundamental challenge of any independent publishing and why you make it and you know, why we made a magazine. It was you know, for our business and justifying that cost, which you know, we subsidised. Yeah. And, but recognise the importance and the value and the tangibility of and the beauty that comes in something with print. Uh, you know, it's just being upfront and clear about that. Yeah. Um, so how are you? How did you resolve that? So then we. But then you get in a situation where you like randomly ringing an email and people just like hi, 
give us some money. And that's not like, no one wants to be in that situation. So like your uh, mum used to be, what's your mum up to? Put <laughs> no, no. her on the phone. <laughs> Saleswoman Sue. Um, so then it was like, <laughs> went back to the drawing board and was like, right, what, what are we offering and who do we want to work with? Yeah. And what package is going to work for us and what's going to work for them? And, like, what is, what's realistic in terms of, like, timing and what can we make happen? And so I just went back to the drawing board and sort of repositioned this is it recently, all. right? Yeah. This is after our beers in the sun. This is after our yeah. thirds of beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, and I think, to be fair... Um... I don't think things happen for a reason, which I used to. I used to think, like, if you manifest and you have your, like, slogans around you and you do the work, then good things will happen. But that's yeah. not how business works. Like, you can do all of that and still it might not work. So you, I think the successful people in business are just resilient as fuck and they just get back out. And, like, my husband runs his own business and he was sort of saying, like, I got really upset about it. I was really disheartened. And he was like, yeah, this is the reality of business. Like, you're going to have this numerous times and it's whether you then refocus your energy and then move forward or you just can it and you get a job and so I looked on Guardian Jobs and I was like fuck that do I get a job <laughs> reality check <laughs> uh, so then yeah you just recalibrate and refocus your energy and like do it better like sort out your media pack speak to someone different you know like do all these things differently Resilience is a great word. Chatting with Pip Jameson, mm -hmm. that is her main word in terms of perseverance. It's so um, key. And again, it is the unspoken uh, narrative for any founder, CEO, business leader. Um, I'm currently reading Scott Belsky's book. It's oh. called The Messy Middle, which is great because it's not about the beginning of the idea which is you know hey, hey we're, we're super excited yeah and it's not about the exit and you know popping champagne yeah it's the weird messy middle in the middle that is like what is it <laughs> why are we doing this you know do we do i still believe this i really i yeah, highly recommend it that's um, it's, yeah i mean it's very much you know obviously us and predominantly around his experience with Behance. Yeah. Uh, but some, yeah, some great lessons, some great learnings in there when you're like right in the middle of a business of just remembering, you know, again, fundamentals of why we're doing it and your reasoning, but equally, you know, that it is hard and anybody says that it's not, I yeah. mean, they're lying. Exactly. And I think that's such a good point, the messy middle, because there's not that, it's not talked about that often, like when you're, in it and from the outside it all looks like amazing and you've got yeah. these credentials but then you're like what do I do next like how do I either grow it or how do I shift the focus and yeah I think it is that resilience and that sort of coming back to like why you do it in the first place because when I was on Guardian Jobs I was like I don't want a fucking job like I love making the magazine and like I really believe in why how long did it take you oh like oh, one hitting guardian job was like, <laughs> I did. how many jobs did i you did my read? filter i was like uh editorial <laughs> central london you... and like no jobs came up and then i was just like i don't want to fucking do this like i don't want to have to go somewhere five days a week at nine o'clock 
and ask for a holiday. You are the boss. You don't want to work for a boss. Nah. Nah. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, quickly, coming back to the, your that freelancer event, because I really wanted to come, and I recommend it to loads of people. Were, were there any other, other than, you know, independent you know, publishing uh, category? I mean, was there any other key takeouts learnings revelations from Yay. it because i mean I, I, we're fascinated i'm fa- i mean we've got pip here mm. and you know my our entire business you know that is the future of the workplace but uh, yeah just wanted to see if there was anything else they i mean they just talked about the whole setup and how freelance lifestyle is pitched as like the um the answer if you don't like your nine to five five days a week but with that like it may we mainly focused on um, writers and journalists, freelancing. So with that, you've got to generate your ideas. You've got to pitch them to the right people. You've then got to get your pitch like accepted. Then you've got to do the work and the research. Then you've got to send your invoice in. Then you've got to chase payment. Like that's six stages for one job, and then you've got to do that on repeat. So they were sort of talking about like how can you refine your pitches, and that was all about like building relationships with editors, finding out what their focus is, what their themes are coming up for whatever their platform or issue is. Um, and they they also talked about, like, um, having a niche, which there was pros and cons for. So Kemi, um, as a black girl, was like, I don't want to just write about black issues, but that's what I get a lot of the time. And then, so she was kind of sort of saying, like, I don't want that. But then they were also acknowledging that if you do have a niche and you do have, like, a speciality, then you're going to get... It's easier to get those pictures and it's easier to get those jobs. Um, and, they yeah, they talked about the kind of things, like, staff writers um, on any platform will get, like... They'll churn out the news stories and the sort of quick response stories and the opinion pieces so things that do well are well-researched pieces that you've already gotten in with so if you like reporting does a lot better and Mm. interviews the kind of things that their staff writers don't have time to do it was just really interesting and I think like a lot of them had very similar experiences and that there was there was a lot of confusion around like the future of freelancing and and whether it was the best way forward. And what was the general consensus of that question? That, uh, that company... I mean, was that, I mean, of the room? I mean, I'm, was there a vote? Or was it just a general vibe? There was a general vibe, because then it, it, we had... It of, was, like, positive, negative, or undecided? I think it was more positive, because it then turned into quite an open conversation, because there was... I think the audience wanted to ask the panellists like a lot of questions yeah, and there obviously. was a more of a like positive vibe about it and I think the freedom that you get is great the one thing like Vicky Spratt so she works at iPaper and Grazia and she does a lot um, she does stuff for the BBC but she was sort of saying and she's writing a book she was sort of saying like the rate of pay for a freelancer is really poor it, like what is it, roughly? I think like they were sort of saying forty p a word, and you know she was sort of saying like as a freelancer, what you need to do is get a regular gig, so you know that at least you're getting mm-hmm. however yeah, much a month. Paid and your basics, yeah. 
And then you can do fun stuff and pictures around that. Or set up your own magazine. Or set up your own magazine. So, rules of growth. You did, you completed it? I completed my homework. Well done. <laughs> How did you get on? Curious? It was really good. It was really interesting to like take you, take me out of the day-to-day stuff and actually really regroup and I did it around the time we had that chat and it made us think like yeah what I ha- what I was offering and why I was doing it and what the next the logical next step should be it was really good okay I wasn't looking for that but <laughs> thank you I'm glad it's helpful <laughs> um and any you know practical applications of that in terms of next steps and growth of repost um, yes, I've got like my short term, medium term, long term goals, plans. Right. Um, I've got, yeah, just sort of refocusing. So next year, working on podcast series, a book series, um, upping our game online and sort of getting people on board to help with that. Yeah. And because I think like, which also came out of that freelancer event, like looking at what we do online, how, what can we offer that is different, but that makes sense for a post? Because we haven't, like our website is, is just quite static and yeah. we don't do that much with it. So, but I want to do something interesting with it. How big is a repost family, community? I mean, Massive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is, I mean, no, this isn't about, Big numbers, but this is about engaged numbers. Yeah. I mean, where are are they? They're mainly in... uh, Our major cities are London, New York, Sydney and Paris. And then, like, they're, they're like, the main ones. I don't know why Sydney's such a big one. Um, And then there's, like... Have you done any events over that? No. No, but we've got a really good distributor there. So I think that makes a difference and they get us into decent shops. Yeah. And I think the indie magazine scene over there, people seem to respond really well. I don't know. Mm. Um, What was the question? Size. (laughs) Size. Uh, Yeah, and so for the next issue, we're up in the print run. Our Instagram's like 27,000... Great. <laughs> My point to me, to me is not necessarily about, you know, that Instagram or the distribution. And I don't know why we have our own event space. You know, it is the, the physical like, IRL. Yeah. You know, getting people together. And, you know, that could be 20 people in the room. Yeah. If they're at the right 20 people, you know, there is... Uh, it's not necessarily about the values of it, but it's much more about you know what comes off the back of that in terms of an introduction or you know, new career directions or ideas shared. Yeah. And again, I'm just a massive advocate of enabling that way beyond you know digital has its place and you know, print has its place, but certainly that that event component always important. Yeah, and you see that like. In the summer, we always try and do like a bigger all day event. Yeah. Um, and we did one at the Ace, and there was a marketplace and three different talks and workshops and a party and like pampering. And you just see the conversations happening between people sat next to each other and 
the feedback that we get from those events are like amazing mm. and people love them and like the freelancer event that I keep mentioning that sold out in like less than a day I think there's just such a a thirst for knowledge and like thirst for experience and to really connect with people who are into similar things and to learn from each other I just think that's only gonna grow as people live more online mm. and they want that like real contact and experience yeah Wrapping it up, is there, I get two last questions. A piece of advice you might want to share for budding young indie magazine hopefuls, potentially. Um, and also someone you would recommend to be on the podcast. Um, a piece of advice. I a think lesson learnt. I've got two, I think. Uh, one is like, yeah, you need to know where your money's coming from at all times. At all times. I think you need to always have an eye on how you can make your business sustainable and where that money's coming from and what you're spending it on. Because I, I kind of have always been aware of that from the start, but it just is so key. Like every single penny, you need to know where it's coming from. And then there's a great... Um, uh, what's he called? Dave Sitek from TV on the radio. He's had an interview on the radio a while ago and he talked about um, chasing the question mark, not the exclamation mark. And I think it's like, it really resonated because I think it's really easy in like the age of Instagram to like bosh up something really flashy and something like really slick with no substance. But I think the things that will last and will make the most impact are the things with real thought behind them and where you've really questioned either what you're doing or what message you're putting out there. And I think not enough people are doing that. And there's so much inane shit, like, everywhere that I, it makes us crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say follow... The question mark, not the exclamation mark. Ask why a lot. Simon Sinek, the five why. Yes, yes. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Repeats himself a lot. I know, it's kind of annoying, <laughs> but the methodology is, methodology is sound. He's very clever. And who, who would you want to hear on? Oh, It doesn't who? have to be one person. I think Pip had three. Shit. Who? I always like uh, talking to Alex and Will from It's Nice That. Yes. I think they're... I really, really rate them. I think I really respect them. I met them when they just graduated from Brighton. Okay. So it's been amazing to, like, watch their trajectory. And I think, like, they're both... I met Alex recently and he was talking about how, like, he's very much... Well, they're both business, but I think he's more, like, going to get the money and making making the money and making the business and will is very much like the vision and together they have like created something really special yeah agreed um i think those two i think they're really interesting great <laughs> thanks will <laughs> thanks danielle great to have you on the show great um, to be here and looking forward to seeing where it goes next yeah we'll be following it closely thank you